0: I'm Matthew McCleary and I'm Mitchell McCleary and this
1: is movies while they sleep the podcast where two brothers watch movies and talk about them after their families have gone to bed welcome to today's episode where we watched Zack Snyder's Justice League
0: all four hours
1: of it, and two minutes. Four hours and two minutes. We watched Zack Snyder's Justice League, the re-release, uh, the director's cut, the original director Zack Snyder back 2017's Justice League. This new one is now streaming on HBO Max. And this week's is a very special episode. We're going to talk a, a bit about Justice League, but we Mitchell and I we are complete newbies to the DC universe, so we thought this would be a good time to bring in a guest. So you're going to hear our conversation, really kind of an interview style, with our first guest on the pod. Uh, Mitchell, why don't you introduce him?
0: Our guest is Paul Antliner of Deep Talks podcast fame. Deep Talks, Exploring Theology and Meaning Making is a really great podcast that we both can't recommend enough. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, Paul is our fir- first guest of the pod, and he is a bit of a DC and, and just comic book uh Expert in general, so he helped guide us through this chaotic uh, four hour long world. <laughs> uh, let's try 10 hours with the other movies we watched this week. Did I mention uh,
1: that four hours? <laughs> <laughs> A couple of notes before we get into today's episode. First, we want to say if you have not taken the time to watch the four hours and two minutes of Zack Snyder's Justice League, I still think this is going to be a good conversation that you're going to be able to listen to and really not miss anything along the way. Uh, Most of the conversation we've already recorded and uh, we spent quite a bit of that time talking about the kind of lead up to the Justice League, the other films in this series, and most of our conversation is about the kind of broader philosophical and even theological themes that these movies really get into and kind of how we relate to those things, and less about the plot of the new movie and the differences between the the new one and the original release and all of that. Uh, we're interested in that, but with Paul coming on the podcast, we thought this would be a great opportunity to get into some of these major themes of these movies comic book movies in general superhero movies which are so huge and have been so uh, central to movie culture over the last 10 years. Paul is a great voice and expert in a lot of these things so we're happy to have him on and excited about that. The one other note is uh, typically we record these as our title suggests after our families have gone to bed so we record them late at night and usually don't have any audio issues with outside noise Uh, But we recorded this early on a Monday morning with Paul and my neighbors decided at 7.30 a.m. That was the ideal time on Monday morning to mow their lawn. So if you hear any lawnmower noise, just excuse it and uh, trust that that we're working on that for the future. Uh, And really uh, just thankful that that you're going to be able to hear Paul and the great things he's sharing with us today. Paul had no lawnmower noise on his end. (laughs) That was just Matthew's fault. Uh, So we are excited. We are going to cut straight into our conversation with Paul now, and we hope you enjoy the show.
0: Let's jump in, sleepyheads. Cool. Well, um, Paul, our first guest of the pod, I'm so excited that you are here and talking with us today. I'm excited to be here few people want to talk about this stuff (laughs) (laughs) few people want to talk about the four hour two minute long i always include the two minutes when talking about this movie but before we jump into the snyder cut i'd love for you just give an introduction of who you are what you do maybe a little bit about your podcast yeah
2: sure thanks guys for having me i'm 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 really excited to talk to you guys about this stuff and yeah like i said there's there's not i think there is probably more people out there just in my circle of friends um you know, there, there are people that are into, like, philosophy and theology, and then there's, like, people that are into comic books and comic book movies. Sure. But, but the Venn diagram doesn't have, <laughs> in in my circle of friends, doesn't have a, a ton of over, overlap. So, um, mm. yeah, so th- thankful to be on with you, too. Um, yeah, a little bit about me. I'm a pastor by vocation, so that's that's my my day job. And um, I've been in a bunch of different denominational contexts for 15 years doing that. I've also taught theology in the classroom for boy, it's probably 10 or 12 years. Uh, I'm not teaching in the classroom right now. Instead, I decided about three years ago uh, instead of going on and had a couple of paths in front of me i was either going to continue my education onward into my phd in hopes of moving on and teaching in you know divinity schools or in college yeah. campuses somewhere um but instead decided to do something else which was okay there's a limited amount of people that can actually afford to go to a seminary a divinity school something mm-hmm. like that um there's a limited number of people that would attend even like a, a private college, which would be most likely the place I'd be employed at. Um, but there are many people who are wrestling with questions about their faith, about God, about theology and philosophy. Um, there's a lot of people our age and younger who, as they get into yeah. their adult years, have a bunch of questions about the things that they've learned. Um, in my experience when I was talking and meeting with people that were kind of in that, that phase of what we might call like deconstruction, I found that it was pretty hard just to go and hand them some sort of like academic work of theology or philosophy. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's just not where a lot of people are at and that's just fine. Like I, um, I've talked about it as, you know, if, if I knew there was something wrong with my car and someone just handed me like an engineering textbook, it wouldn't do me much good. So um, what I wanted to do instead was to maybe kind of take like a little bit part classroom, um, part lecturing, like I'm in a classroom, part interviewing experts in various fields that have an interest in how theology intersects with philosophy, arts. Movies even, you know, comic books, culture, science, all those places where I think our deepest fundamental questions are questions about God, meaning, and our purpose and the entire story. Mm. And so uh, I started a podcast three years ago to maybe be a substitute for the classroom and to help people that have questions explore some of these questions in ways that I'd like to think aren't uh, flame wars, you know, (laughs) try to have charitable, nuanced dialogue with people of divergent parts. Perspectives. See if we can learn something from each other. And yeah, that podcast is called Deep Talks, exploring theology and meaning making. And you can, I guess, find it anywhere, anywhere that podcasts are go check it out. Found. It's yeah. Great. Thanks,
0: guys. Yeah, and I can say just to get vulnerable immediately. Oh wow! <laughs> uh, go for it. <laughs> just jumping right in. Uh, I actually messaged Paul a couple couple weeks back on Instagram saying because it was it was I think you it was an episode actually you were a guest on another podcast, the Ferment um adam russell and um is that vineyard vineyard church i think vineyard I think. it might be vineyard music specifically vineyard i don't know music. Man. yeah but just messaging you say Deep talks has been um my my saving grace during COVID, especially when mm. normal church isn't isn't as available yeah. and um and yeah as as you were saying just kind of the the venn diagram of demographics that i think we all fit into of um, especially this year being really challenging for, uh, traditional evangelicalism, but um, yeah. detox yeah. has been a very safe place and a um, encouraging place to go to for me personally, and I I reached out and said something to you, mm. so I really appreciate um, yeah. that. Yeah, so people detox is highly recommended. I really appreciate that. Hearing that feedback is really helpful.
2: As you guys will learn, I know you're kind of. Um, in the beginning phases of launching yeah. these sorts of conversations, and I know it's not specifically, you know, geared towards sh- just having conversations about faith, but it's inevitable that yeah. all of these stories that we consume in movies are stories that make claims about reality and what reality yeah. is like. Even when we're not talking about, like, in the case of a Zack Snyder Justice League, we're not <laughs> we're not set in some sort of historical uh, setting your context, all of these are ways and avenues of helping us explore our our quest for meaning. And I think what you guys will find is it's hard at times, like the difference I've experienced from being in a classroom or if I'm, I'm preaching or something like that is you get like immediate feedback from the people in the room. Like, but you, you know, this Matthew, right? Yeah. You you, get some sort of like feedback mechanism as to whether or not stuff is landing. Is this helpful or not? But when you're just talking into a mic In a room by yourself or you guys are interviewing pardon me just the three of us uh you're going man i hope this lands i hope it's helpful so honestly (laughs) the comment section
0: will let you know (laughs) yeah
2: yeah i I mean just getting that sort of feedback is just really encouraging
1: yeah yeah no i appreciate it and and i just kind of uh became aware of you in this podcast in the last couple weeks through mitchell and I, the stuff I've checked out and some of your videos and stuff have been really just encouraging for me to see that this kind of stuff is out there and so accessible. And I think that was what I appreciated, Paul, because a lot of it was resonating with me, reminding me of, you know, seminary classes, church history stuff. And and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, I, I got to go back and just kind of even reigniting that interest in me oh, wow. to go back and check out you know old old resources that are sitting there on my bookshelf that I got and never read you know, mm. you know I think we all have yeah, that definitely um, but what I appreciated about it was it was both kind of that level of oh this is reminding me of the conversations we had in in this course in this setting uh, but it was so accessible oh uh, man I think appreciate anybody, that. so I mean didn't yeah.
2: you find just as a quick aside didn't you find that and this isn't everybody's case who goes off to something yeah. like seminary or divinity school. But didn't you find a level of openness to conversation and to any yeah. question being on the table that yes. isn't most people's church experience? Was that the oh, case absolutely. for you
1: too? Yeah. I, I had a class in particular that I think about so often that was a class on the kingdom of God, which sounds like it could have been a very heady theological you know academic kind of we're gonna get lectures and really get into the weeds on this stuff but what the class turned into was basically a learning group every week Mm. where our professor kind of laid some groundwork but just really wanted us to teach each other and the the his his openness to do that Mm. to allow us the space to have the floor, to say what we think, what we're observing, the observations we're uh, kind of getting into, I, I, I so appreciated that. But also I, I'm like, I've never been in a space like this before. Yeah. And, and this is like what I would love church Bible study to look like. It, totally. it wasn't that we were all bringing our stacks of commentaries into it. We were just reading passages from God's word and talking about it. And uh, that, that experience has stuck with me for, for years. I think. Mm,
2: yeah. Th- th- that was pretty, and, and, and you come out of that going, there's no reason why this couldn't be more normative, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm glad that was your experience too. And that's kind of uh, and part of what I was trying to bottle up and, and try to bottle yeah. up in, in a podcast format is to go, Hey, that sort of experience where it feels like no questions off the table. And we're actually, we're earnestly searching, not just yeah, um, critiquing, because we're hurt which you know mm-hmm. lot of, lots of people that have valid hurts I do <laughs> you know from yeah. from church experiences yeah. and um but sometimes those hurts can really just turn to hey let's just burn the whole thing down yeah and i think yeah there's you, you can find there's plenty of stuff on the internet that will fuel that in you, so I think yeah. hopefully yes. we can offer the, the a better YouTube way. algorithm will get us there. Yeah, it will. It'll keep feeding you It'll the rage algorithm. You. The rage, yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's all. That is the
0: algorithm. Yeah, and that, I think that nuance is something that like I crave so much, both in in just friendships and relationships with people talking about our lives, but obviously when it comes to um, the age of Instagram pastors and and sound bites and and tweets, it's like. That openness is is needed mm-hmm. and really appreciated.
1: Thanks, guys. Thank you. Well, uh, Paul, do you want to say anything else by way of introduction for you before we jump into? Uh, I I figured we could start with a general discussion, uh, kind of DC Comics, DC Cinematic Universe, the Snyder stuff. Uh, this this these kind of stories really resonate with you, Mitchell, and I are relative newbies to the films you gave us
0: of... some homework this week because i you know it's funny i thought i had seen man of steel but it was really superman returns from like 2006 oh, yep. That's, so those i was are like oh, no. yeah i'm like i yeah. hated man of steel and then i'm watching i'm like okay i was confused this is not that and i'm actually really enjoying this but you gave us some homework to set us up for this world but yeah if you want to give us a general what, what do we need to know going into all this yeah i
2: mean i I found an attraction, even just personally, early on as a kid, to comic book stories, and I, th- I still do today. I still buy comic books. I have comic book subscriptions, and it, and I think it's a maybe a misunderstanding for some people that have never had that as part of their life. They think it's like just, boy, you just like childish stories where overly muscular men are punching other overly muscular monsters and it's like well no hell yeah I, I mean there's there's certainly a degree maybe where that that can be true but i think if you find that's not the thing that drives you know pre-covid and eventually we'll hopefully get to a post-covid a um, hundred thousand yeah. people to show up at a comic book convention that's, yeah. that, they're not doing that that like they're not doing that. You have UFC for that, right? Yeah. and that's that's yeah. not the same demographic.
1: <laughs> there yeah, peop- it's not some it's not some total widespread arrested development of people interested in child stories. Yeah, uh,
2: no, the, because yeah. they're actually for us those are our modern mythological stories in, yeah. in American yeah. culture, and that's spread to the rest. The rest of the world. So my interest in it, even as a kid, was that I found that these stories would get me thinking about things that were beyond the story in and of themselves, Mm -hmm. that they were symbols, they're invitations into thinking. And that's just like, for me, like why I'm attracted to sci-fi and fantasy and um, these other, these other great stories. So for me, I don't know, for whatever reason, DC comics always just struck more of a chord. uh, To me, I'm not Mm -hmm. I, I don't dislike Marvel. I, I really loved, I still really love some of the ideas that Marvel was exploring. Um, you know, I, I talked to uh, Russell Moore, this would have been six, seven months ago, and yeah. he's actually a big comic book fan as well, and we had a good conversation about it. And he brought up this good point that, you know, DC tends to really deal with existential questions you yeah. know profound existential questions it deals deals with trauma a lot like childhood trauma mm. you know you think of all these mm. characters stories
1: and they're every one of them you know in this movie near,
2: yeah nearly every yeah every one of them yeah. deal with some sort of traumatic childhood experience and how that shapes them but uh marvel tended to be maybe more of like teen angst coming of age stories mm. so if you think of like the x-men The X-Men story is about people, you know, trying to find a place to fit in, feeling like outcasts, Mm. you know, and and very much that appeals to our our teenage sensibilities. Oh, sure. But I think for me, DC was just, uh, it resonated with me more, and I still love the Marvel stuff. Um, It might have been even too just like my age. I'm 37. You yep. know, um, Tim Burton's Batman came out in eighty-nine, yeah. you know, when I was so good. When I was a kid and it was like and then right after that it was Batman the Animated Series, which yep. to me is still like the quintessential comic book cartoon. It is yeah, it is so beyond not being for kids. I, I go back <laughs> and I, I watch some of them with my kids now. And I'm like, these ideas and themes are way beyond what, Mm -hmm. where my headspace was at as a eight, nine, 10 year old. So I guess I've always found an attraction to those stories. Of course, then there was the Christopher Nolan Batman films. And uh, in those films, we really saw Christopher Nolan explore some philosophical ideas, especially in The Dark Knight. Yeah. That was a story that was really dealing with something that's kind of at the heart of a lot of Batman stories. Batman's my favorite and at the heart of a lot of batman stories are is this sense that batman lives in an absurd world. He lives in Gotham mm. City. It's hopeless. Yeah. It seems apparently meaningless. You have to ask good questions as to why anybody would voluntarily want to live in <laughs> Gotham City, you know. Um he his his childhood trauma is in all of the best stories there's been some adaptations of batman's parents deaths which try to make it more than this but it's been just a a bad day you know Mm. like thomas and martha wayne are killed over martha's pearls in Mm. in a street you know why did his parents
1: kind of of the senselessness the senselessness
2: yeah you know chaos the chaos yeah it's just you know some punk with a gun and um it's absurd you know, I know that some stories try to make it into something more than that, but I, I think that misses the point of what yeah. what Batman's about. And so Batman, how does he respond to the meaninglessness mm. of Gotham City? And in some ways, it's it's like a myth of Sisyphus story. That's, you know, something from the existentialist uh, philosopher Albert Camus who tells this, this story of, of, of Sisyphus. Sisyphus was doomed and destined by the gods to, as a punishment to, um, push this rock Mm. up a hill, up a mountain, only to have, whenever he got to the top of the mountain, the the boulder to come crumbling right back down, rolling right back down on him. And so for Camus, he's like, well, if this is his fate, what can Sisyphus do? And Camus' response was, well, Sisyphus can choose to make meaning out of the Mm. pushing of this rock mm. up a hill you know the gods have destined him to this particular fate but they can't control his sure. inner world he can mm. um he can choose to be happy and he can choose to make meaning and so in a lot of ways batman is this character in an absurd mm. world is it ever does it ever get better i mean that's the question does yeah, gotham yeah. Does gotham city ever get better and uh you know and that's that's what makes batman an existentialist hero. And that's kind of yeah. I think one of the primary themes that Nolan brought to bear in his story, especially with the Joker. The Joker. Yeah. Joker's opening line in that movie is what whatever doesn't kill you kill me only makes me stranger, only makes you stranger. Mm. That's actually a, a play on a Nietzsche quote. Nietzsche's quote was whatever yeah. doesn't kill me only makes me stronger. So you can see right right away the Joker is highlighting the absurdity of Gotham City, the absurdity of you have this one moral code, Batman, you know, it doesn't make sense because you continue to let me live and I'm going to kill more people. That's. You know that's a running theme throughout, and he's yet, laying the
0: chaos. Keep going. Yeah,
2: yeah, you're he letting can't it, control it. You can't control it, so why don't you stop? Why don't you give up? Yeah. And uh, what makes Batman such a hero is that in the face of that, he continues to do sometimes what I actually think was a good line in Joss Whedon's version of Justice League that they cut out when he was talking to Flash. He says, "Just save one." Hmm. You know, and so um, yeah, there's there's something heroic about yeah. Batman that we see. In that, that I think the Christopher Nolan movies um, highlight and then we get into capture really well, and then we get into these this the Snyderverse, and it's
0: (laughs) the Snyderverse,
2: yeah, (laughs) my favorite multiverse. Yeah, I'm really curious, like what you know, because I've been talking for a while. I'm curious what you guys just binged the whole thing this week, and what like your initial impressions of were of 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 the films.
1: It it was interesting because. So I love Batman. Grew up with the Batman animated series. We were Mitchell and I were talking about that this week a lot. And the and the Christopher Nolan Batmans are really important. Movies those were some superhero
0: movies that I had seen. Yeah, yeah. Know, <laughs> I, I at least seen those.
1: And and so uh, and I have I don't have a lot of attachment to the Superman story. So a lot of that was new, and and I really appreciated a lot of it. That was cool to experience. Uh, but the Batman stuff was so interesting to me because I was. Uh, expecting to come in not liking this batman because my batman is the christian bale stuff this kind of high intellectualism of christopher nolan and my perception is ben affleck comes in as a brute and, and i mean it's been you know yeah
0: already we have so much weight we're carrying yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: yes but he comes on screen in batman v superman and he's like hustling people out of you know Wayne building in downtown Metropolis to try and save them, and I'm like all in on this character, and the way he immediately gets you into that—that that that's the introduction to the Snyder Batman—is not in a suit, not in Wayne Manor, not with any of the tech, but just trying to save people in in the plain clothes civilian role. And, and it's that I, I feel like is so quintessential to who Batman is in general, but this one in particular, and really that whole Batman V Superman movie What was so interesting to me was he doesn't spend a lot of time in the suit until basically the climactic battle at the end. But a lot of that movie, and even when he is in the suit, it's, it's in shadows, it's tiny little scenes here and there, but the heart of this character is Bruce Wayne and his wrestling with Um, His wrestling with, I think in in that movie in particular, he's wrestling with the the collateral damage of Superman and the kind of unrestrained abilities and and strength and might of a a person like Superman and whether that's always good and how we kind of navigate that. And I I just really appreciated the questions that the Snyder Batman kind of storylines are bringing up because it is not it's not the same morality tale as the Dark Knight. This is, this is a consideration of the goodness and power of God mm. and, in, in the face of a very chaotic uh, crumbling world. And um, Batman is really, I mean, this is, this is a man, this is a melancholy man struggling with the reality of his, the world around him.
2: Yeah. I think the difference between, you know, the, the Kevin Conroy, Batman, the animated series Batman, the, the yeah. Christian Bale Batman, who honestly, like as a Batman fan, I am i don't think Christian Bale was the best Batman, but that, that can be a debate for yeah. another time. <laughs> uh, he doesn't come across as the world's best detective, a master of all the martial no. arts and, you know, um, the villains really, you know, yeah. steal the show. But anyways, um, this Batman is moved more into nihilism i think yeah. and a key scene is when he walks past in the bat cave the the jokers sprayed on graffiti of mm-hmm. a robin suit and um you know he's i think and you even, see this is good
0: context because I, I wasn't even sure what i i thought like when i first saw yeah. it not having the context that that was an old batman suit
2: no yeah you yeah, that's, know that's a battle. robin yeah that's a robin suit and you know in the comic books uh you know, there's been multiple Robins. Of course, the first Robin was Dick Grayson, and then he he grows up and goes, hey, I don't want to just be your sidekick anymore, and becomes Nightwing. And then the, the second Robin, uh, Jason Todd, is actually killed by the Joker yeah. in the comics um, and beaten to death by the Joker with a crowbar. It's like really violent, oh. horrific. Oh. And so, you know, some of this stuff, you know, Snyder, I think one of the things that made it so poorly reviewed was that I think Snyder imports a lot of these, you know, Easter eggs that are tie-ins yeah. to the comics that if you're not like, if you don't know that story, right? You're going, like you're saying, Mitchell, was like, "What? what is that? <laughs> you know what? Ha ha. Uh, right. Honestly. I'm like, but I see that and go, oh, in this universe, like yeah. Joker's killed Robin. That helps me make more sense of why Batman is moving more towards this nihilistic yeah. Much there's of, a weighty history. Yeah, yeah. So so there's that. That de- that definitely plays a role and then he's got that conversation with Alfred about, you know, after 25 years in Gotham, mm. how many good guys are there left. So he's really suspicious of of power, right? Yeah. Um, he's really suspicious. You brought up the the opening scene of Batman v Superman, and I think that's critical to understanding yeah. a lot of the theological and philosophical ideas that are embedded in that in that movie, because that you know they call it the Black Zero event. Yeah. So it's the tail end actually of Man of Steel, and it leads yeah. into this. Man of Steel has worked really hard to establish Superman as a Christ like character. And there's these symbols, some of which are, you know, people have made memes of them because they're so overt, you know. Um, You know, one of which—and maybe I should backtrack by even saying, like, the creation of the Superman character in the comics was created by two Jewish guys Mm -hmm. who were— kind of taking a, a Moses story Superman oh, interesting. Su- Superman is like Moses who instead of being placed in a basket down the Nile is placed in yeah, this it's the spaceship, it's the spaceship. Yeah. um they're playing on the you know the ubermensch that you know that Nietzsche's idea yeah. that what we need in the death of god is a superman and here we have these two Jewish guys that are saying you know we're going to pull mm-hmm. from this Moses story and present uh, you know yeah. a deliverer to humanity. Yeah. But Snyder takes that and makes it instead of a Moses figure, a Christ-like figure. Yeah. And we see that in some pretty obvious ways. So like, yeah. for example, I mean, even the story, even the name kal which is, you yeah. know, his original Kryptonian name is loosely, you can translate from Hebrew as the voice of God or yeah. the vehicle of God. So, um, they run with that idea in more Christian, uh, expression yeah. than in Jewish expression. So one example, he's sitting in the, um, he's weighing out how he should respond to Zod's invasion. And where does he go? He goes yeah. to a church, sits down with, with yeah. a priest, you know, and in the backdrop as he's sitting there is Christ in the garden of Gethsemane. And yeah. what's he evaluating? He's evaluating whether or not to turn himself in in hopes that maybe yeah. doing that would save the world, you know?
1: It's funny because these references to to the Jesus stories and the way that he centers Christ on Superman in that film. A lot of it is extremely overt. And, but it's kind of, it feels similar to what we're just talking about with the Easter eggs of the other DC universe stuff of if you know it, it's there. And if you, if you don't at all, you're probably going to miss a lot of this. And Snyder is just, he is what I find so fascinating about him is he is so singularly focused on telling the story that he wants to tell. And he does not care if if you are uh, confused uh, along the ride. (laughs) This is what we're doing. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Totally.
0: Yeah, and well, I thought it was interesting how, like we're saying, overt, maybe obvious some of the comparisons are, but Man of Steel was actually my favorite of the three, and those comparisons never really bothered me when I I feel like usually they would. Yeah, yeah. Well,
2: when I say they're pretty overt, it's... Sometimes it's direct, but I, I think when I watch movies and I watch television, I'm looking for all of those little things in the background. Like there's intentionality behind all of them. There's intentionality behind you're in a, sitting in a subway somewhere, uh, you know, a show that did this really, really well was Mr. Robot. I don't know if you guys ever watched Mr. Robot at all. Um, yeah, I watched the first season, everything in your field of view, was essentially an Easter egg. You know, it was telling you something intentionally. And so you see that with Snyder. um, And to me, it seems pretty overt because it's like Jesus is literally right over his shoulder in the stained glass window (laughs) in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's like, well, maybe I should turn myself in if it can save the world. There's another really obvious one. Uh, So after he turns himself in and ends up on Zod's ship, uh and is trying to escape there you go That's it. <laughs> he uh you know his dad jor you know or at least some sort of consciousness in a hologram yeah uh, you know tells them you can save them you can save them all and as he leaves the ship right you did it right there mitchell he leaves with his arms spread <laughs> it, a really kind of like unnatural pose uh-huh but totally you know a, a crucifix um yeah. and so There's really clear evidence that that's the sort of story Snyder is trying to tell. And it's to use Superman as a way of getting us to think about whether or not in Western civilization, um, whether there's room for God anymore. How do we respond to God? What happens when God dies? And that's really what Man of Steel leading into Justice League is about. So you go back to that Black Zero event. Uh, the event where Superman is fighting Zod. And, you know, Batman is already on the verge. We know because of that little Easter egg, the Joker's killed Robin. He spent 25 years in Gotham facing the absurdity of it. He is losing hope. Um, And even in that Mm. scene as he's trying to rescue people, he looks up and what does he see? He's trying to rescue a little girl while God... You know, so you picture Superman as a, a symbol for God, while God is up in the heavens, seemingly unaware of the devastation yeah. that's happening city all around The city is his him. sandbox. Exactly. And uh, that sets up right away one of the important themes in Batman v Superman, which is yeah. the problem of evil. Yeah, The problem of evil is one of the i would say I, I there are three things that i really notice in in batman versus superman as theological philosophical ideas they're exploring one is the problem of evil and it's set up in that scene um you know we actually we actually see this as um you know bruce wayne we actually it starts with bruce wayne's parents deaths yeah, and then that's connected to the to the um, devastation that's happening in Metropolis on Black Zero, and uh, in the wreckage of the buildings, Bruce finds one of his employees trapped under the rubble. You know, Bruce saves a little girl that this God Superman would have would have died, uh, would have let die, um, and whose
0: parents did die.
2: Right, right, exactly. Much like Bruce, exactly. Who's and so. So the problem that Bruce Wayne comes up against is this classic problem from the Greek philosopher Epicurus. Either God is all good, or and if he's all good, then he can't be all-powerful because there's evil happening in the world, or he's all-powerful and he's not all good. And that is the exact line that Lex Luthor brings to him uh, towards the end of the movie as he's standing on that helicopter pad on some sort of LexCorp building is that yeah. is a paraphrase of that exact quote. So Luther's really wrestling with this too and he just doesn't think it can be one or the other. Bruce Wayne sides on the on the side that he goes, "Well, you know, maybe God's all powerful, but he's not all good in that yeah. moment." And uh you know, Luther has various motivations, but one of them does seem like I I don't trust God.
1: Yeah. And and that is kind of illustrated so often in the film because he doesn't just want to take down Superman he wants to do it in a way to deconstruct Superman's morality yes and and then also destroy him and it's that also great mo- moment in the film where he's got that painting with the mm. demons coming <laughs> out of hell great music and too he says, at that point right yeah oh yeah and he says no it needs to be flipped the 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 devil doesn't come from hell below us but from the sky above or something and that is oh, okay. That's how you feel about God. That's how you feel about Superman. Mm-hmm. Is this is this is not a constructive force. Totally. This is uh, something that that this is evil because it's all powerful. I think that I think Luther is of the kind of same side as Batman almost. Yeah. Of he sees the power and completely denies any of the good yeah they're both responding to the problem of evil in their own
2: unique ways yeah. i mean even just as more evidence of this that guy that was trapped under the rubble wallace keith you know just some kind of low-level employee working for wayne enterprises right i mean what does he do Later in the film, um, like one of the two or three only other parts of the film where he's involved, well, he, yeah, you know, he's paralyzed or not paralyzed. He doesn't have his legs. He goes to the Superman um, memorial, climbs up, and what does he paint on it? He spray paints "False God." You know, so this is definitely something that uh, Snyder is really clearly. I don't think we're just reading stuff into it. I mean, no. No. You know, and that's one thing we have to check. It's all coincidence. Yeah, I don't think it's all coincidence. I, you know, when you like almost directly quote Epicurus, when you are, yeah. uh, you know, having Jesus or having Superman pose as a crucifix, you know, as he's flying, and, and
1: oh, I like this throwaway line: Superman turns himself in. He's in handcuffs, and they. They're worried about you know him contaminating humanity, and he says, "I've been here for thirty three years." Right. Oh, oh you're thirty three years old. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Like, Interesting. I, I, oh, that's I, a good I'm one. I didn't think up. about that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but 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 it's so clearly that's the story he's trying to tell, and I am I loved the stuff in Batman v Superman. The questioning that that moment where the employee climbs the statue, paints false god, was the moment where I'm like, I'm in, I'm all in on this movie, uh, because this is asking questions. And and this feels so uh, real life to me of a person who could have some sort of faith. If we're if we're just gonna you know externalize this into our reality, someone could have a faith in God and then go through some immense tragedy, and and then completely turn on God totally. because of these questions. Totally, this is this is what the the people in our churches, the people in our communities, these these are these are the things that they're wrestling with. Yeah, totally. It just happens to be with a. Superman
2: exactly and that's the thing I, I don't know if people caught right away because you don't yeah. you don't typically get this And I love the Marvel movies for their own reasons too that I can watch them with my kids and it's got these other yeah. these heroes that I, I enjoy too but I don't think people are accustomed to dealing with that sort of question when they go into a yeah. big budget popcorn comic book movie and that it wasn't actually filled with a bunch of action you know there were only like two two or three fight scenes you know in, yeah, in the whole right. in the whole film and so that's what was
0: refreshing for me about it yeah was i actually it like wasn't that th- this rhythm of like small scene small fight scene at the beginning mm-hmm. kind of the, a nice chunky one in the middle that's well lit in the day <laughs> and then there's the night scene at the end that's harder to see what's going on battle but it was it was less predictable in its rhythms yeah. You said, For a superhero movie, at least. Yeah. You said something,
2: uh, Matthew, uh, Used the word deconstructing God. Yeah. And I think that's the yeah. second theme that's explored, especially mm-hmm. with Lex Luthor. So you initially I was as a, as a comic book guy, I, I didn't like the portrayal of Lex Luthor as like a millennial Silicon Valley yeah. billionaire. Um, I thought that was an interesting choice. You don't see that in any of the source material. But the idea started to grow on me, especially when Mm. I thought about what Luthor is trying to do and the things that seem to motivate Luthor. And, you know, Luthor has these questions about the hierarchical structure Mm. of reality that would make humans subservient to the gods, especially if the gods are not good. And... Mm. If God didn't step in and choose to save Luthor from, he hints at the physical abuse that his father put him through, then what would give God the moral grounds to demand obedience from humanity? So maybe Mm. God's will should bend to man's. And then you have this scene on the the helicopter pad where Superman is actually kneeling before Luthor. That's actually what he wants. And as you're saying, like this actually gets that real things that people feel. And it's like, if God wasn't there to step in especially and especially millennials. Me, yes, totally. Especially millennials that have endured abuse in the church. Like I'm yeah. not just talking about mm. like bad theology or this wasn't my church preference. All that stuff is yeah is harmful. But like actual I've lit I've seen this stuff. I've lived through it with people where people have actually endured physical, sexual abuse, terrible things at the hands of people who were supposed to symbolically represent God to them. And that to me is like an interesting motivating factor for Luthor Mm. um, that I find like, oh, you know what? Maybe in some ways this sort of Silicon Valley, you know, you don't know whether or not... there's Zuckerberg. Yeah, 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 totally. Like a Zuckerberg kind of character... And and so the the point about deconstruction is that you see this, not just with Luthor, but with other characters, um, people critiqued the Superman as never being happy. He's not the optimistic blue boy scout that we see in the Christopher Reeves movies. We don't, or the comic books or even the Superman animated series or those justice league animated series shows, which are great too. And so they go, oh, well, that's not the Superman I know, but I think that's the point. The point is that in this world, the Superman of truth, justice, he just can't exist in today's America because yeah. we have we have such an identification with people in power as being people who hold to um, malevolent power, right? Yeah. So we have this critique and it comes, some of it comes from our hurts, but some of it comes from like postmodern philosophy. Um, we might say there are, you know, I, this isn't, I don't want to demonize postmodern philosophy. There's actually a lot of really good stuff that can be helpful as a tool for critiquing meta narratives that are, mm. um, abusive. Uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, critical race theory yeah. and yeah at the core of each of those movements though is a critique of power yeah and um i think it's even luther that says like uh, power is never neutral right that like this is one of the great lies of america that yeah. that that power that power can be good yeah. And that's that is a critique. That's a postmodern critique of our meta-narratives, our guiding stories, and that there yeah. is a universal truth, that there is universal justice. And it, it calls into question those stories. You know, when um Clark's talking to to Perry at the Daily Planet, you know, mm. Perry's always telling him, you know, your your old smallville values don't work anymore, Clark. Yeah. You know, this hard work, this truth and justice, they're dated ideas, they don't fit anymore. Um, And so you see that, like, uh, Superman doesn't fit in in this world, and I don't know if we have room for him, and this is where the next film becomes interesting, because once we've killed off God, right, once we go, I don't know if we can trust a story where there's universal truth. Or goodness, or beauty. Yeah. Maybe that's all a play for power. Maybe someone telling mm-hmm. me this is what's morally right and wrong is just for them to stay in power and for them to hold a position of hierarchical power above me. Well, what happens if we kill it all? Hmm. What, like, what steps in in the vacuum? What yeah, evil what, wakes up? <laughs> yeah, what evil? Yeah, what evil wakes up in the absence of the death of God. And Nietzsche was really concerned about this. Yeah. Nietzsche has this parable called the madman. And in this parable, a madman comes running into town and says, God is dead. God is dead. And everyone looks at him. They're like, what are you talking about? This doesn't make any sense. And Nietzsche's concern was, you know, the madman's, the madman's right in Western civilization, uh, especially in Europe at the time, the idea of God was dying. I'm not saying God ontologically is dead yeah but the idea of god especially in the in the christian narrative was dying and nietzsche was like what's going to step into its place and um it's funny how
0: often i've heard that quote uh, ascribed to him as a uh, almost a call or a you know declaration yeah yeah like he's excited about it (laughs) yeah Yeah. right now we can now we can have some fun (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, make no mistake about it. Nietzsche was not a fan of institutionalized Christianity yes. and the Catholic Church in particular. And like, there's some good critiques that Nietzsche has, yeah. but he's also not—he's also not like, well, if we just kill off God, things are going to be great. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I think that's—that's that's one of the ideas that we see connected between these two films.
1: Like, we deconstruct God out of the story. What's going to step in? so so we're now talking about justice league as kind of that space of that vacuum Mm -hmm. and that is literalized in superman god dies and then these mother boxes of evil i I guess uh, uh just awaken themselves and then the ultimate evil in the universe shows up from a portal from the beyond to to wreak havoc because now I see my opportunity. Yeah, is kind of the the Steppenwolf motivation, I, I guess, and and he even has a line: "There are no Kryptonians here anymore." Like, this is this is the moment where evil can run rampant in uh, on this planet, and and both I think in in the kind of space of the movie where there's a disaffection with power and superman and the gods. Um, but then also in the, the, the mythos of yeah, this guy can do whatever he wants. Yeah.
2: And we should say something as a bridge into justice league about how yeah. uh, an important moment for Bruce Wayne in Batman v Superman is because Batman, Bruce Wayne has become so utterly nihilistic, right? He is, yeah. he, he doesn't, he sees God as powerful, but he does not see God as good. So he's going to yeah. kill God. Right? He's going to kill God. And it's in that moment. What is he doing as he's dragging Superman's body across that uh, abandoned subway or something? He said, I bet your parents told you you were special. But you know what my parents told me as they were dying in the gutter? That life doesn't have meaning unless you force it to. Hmm. And he's about to kill God. What with with a spear? And you know, people asked Zack Snyder after that movie why a kryptonite spear? Can he come up with like a kryptonite batarang or you know, <laughs> cr- kryptonite <laughs> bat shark repellent? Get him, get him yeah. branded like the others. <laughs> yeah, you know, or prisoners. like put it in his suit. All these other things. And yeah. the way Snyder responded on whatever that social media site is I've never used before, Vero, that he's really active on, is a picture. He posted simply a, a picture, a medieval painting of Christ on the cross being pierced mm. in the side by a spear. Wow. So this is clearly what he's trying to do. But what yeah. happens to Bruce Wayne at that moment? He's about to kill him. Everybody makes jokes about the Martha thing, right? That's yeah. the meme. <laughs> but um, and maybe they could have executed that differently. But there was a point there. The point was that yeah. in, in his moment where he's going to kill God— because he believes that God is powerful, but he's not good. Yeah. He sees the humanity of God. He actually sees Mm -hmm. a God who suffers too. Mm -hmm. And it's in that moment where he sees the suffering God, we could say, like, maybe as stealing language from Jürgen Moltmann, a crucified God, that he becomes open again to the... uh, The possibility that God is good. It produces this transformative effect in him that we see him carry out into Zack Snyder's Justice League. So he carries with him this new sense of, what does he even tell Alfred? Like, I'm doing this on faith. And uh, we see this transformation from that nihilistic Frank Miller Batman to now we're getting more in Justice League of Batman that we would have seen in the animated series that we see in the comics. He's still brutal. He's still dark and broody, right? But he's actually infused with hope. Um, So that I think is an important bridge that we need to understand about what happened there at the end of the movie. And that's the thing. That's the thing that transformed people's views of Superman. When Superman died with that spear, it was the spear that pierced him as he kills Doomsday. This actually changes the world's opinion on him. And what do Mm. they play? At at Superman's funeral, they play Amazing Grace, you know? Yeah. Uh, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I can see, you know? And Batman, who's been blind as a bat, can now see again. So those are really important ideas, and then we're left now in Zack Snyder's Justice League with questions about Superman's death has gone out. It's awakened this thing in the absence do we his re- cries, Yes, his this, death cry. His death cry has awakened something in the vacuum. Something else will step in. And I think this is an important point. Like, there's been this secular myth that the myth of secularity is that there are neutral places that are godless places in the world. Like we have mm. a secular space that's devoid of any sort of thing we worship. It's just neutral. And that's that's just not the case. There's always something that steps in to, if we dethrone a picture of God that, say, is a Christ-like looking God, we still live our lives in particular ways with values, with a sense of how things ought to be, what's right and wrong, how should I live, what's the point of it all. And atop of that story is the functional God of our lives that we navigate. So what God steps in to that vacuum. And one of the ones that we see explored is okay maybe chaos maybe maybe there is something far more sinister like we take for granted all mm. of the things that just work in the world because we have operated in a story that says there's goodness there's truth and there is beauty and we're trying to make manifest those things in the world if we eliminate the source of that mm. like what steps in and it's this it's this chaos this chaotic Destruction not just deconstruction, but destruction of everything. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I was gonna say real quick the because because Batman was already, always one of my favorite superheroes, too but Superman I was never I could never never connect with from uh, Previous portrayals and I think what made man still special for me was Because exactly he wasn't that Boy Scout that we've talked about of this the justice in, infallible, you know um, but there's so much humanity injected into him and kind of even as his dad is saying right before that T-pose um, being that bridge between his people and the people of Earth but being that bridge between God and man and so um, yeah it's, it's, it's just interesting to me I wonder how much of um, this because I don't have much experience with comic books in general like the Marvel vs DC debate but I wonder how much of it is DC versus Snyder's interest in these more archetypal figures yeah. Yeah. or ideas, because, yeah. um, from what I've seen in Marvel stuff, I just don't see those big epic themes explored as much. Yeah. And no. that's why I felt like ju- I was drawn to what was happening in these movies and even justice league. Cause I have seen the first Avengers, but, um, like, I've I found myself more engrossed into the bigger story being told.
2: Yeah, that's the same for me as well. I I feel an attraction to that. It doesn't make the other thing wrong. There's still things, even in the Marvel movies, which call people to see um, these characters and their virtues as things worth pursuing. And so anytime we see characters in any sort of story, whether a superhero or not, acting virtuously, something in us is attracted to that because— yeah their virtue, even the partial glimpse of virtue that we see demonstrated in them is, uh, and the goodness that we see in them is a participation in what, in the good, like capital G. And and so there is something compelling, like, I think it's great, like, you see a character like a Steve Rogers, a Captain America, and his resilience, um, you know, there's something virtuous about it. And so there, Mm. I think there's a lot of moral instruction. In Marvel yeah. movies, but maybe not so much of the, the broader theological and philosophical questions.
1: One of the things that stuck out to me this week and kind of as I was binging the DC stuff was the comparison to Marvel and how all of these, at least in the MCU, uh, in these Marvel movies over the last 12 or 13 years, almost every one of these characters... Uh, they've gone out of their way to explain through science or technology why they have the abilities that they have. Um, Thor is probably the only one and he's literally a god from another universe but everyone else it's a- an accident, the sp- a spider, it's you know the military with Steve Rogers you just brought him up or, or Tony Stark and all of his money and so it's harder for them to abstract them out to larger themes of uh, of kind of these big theological things and gods and that kind of um, because they they really want to ground them in our reality uh, of America today. And then the DC movies, what I noticed was Zack Snyder is not interested in that at all. And, and it, it exists in a complete fantasy land where Bruce Wayne is the only one who they explain why he is what he is. And it's that great line of, the Flash asks him what his superpower is, and he says, "I'm really rich. I love it. I cannot wait for uh, Elon to, you know, to come out right. with his suit." And even like, even like Cyborg, as this kind of you know technology, but the technology that that births Cyborg is this you know mythic alien motherbox thing. That's box a good point. Thing. Yeah. And and so you know the 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 playing field for the DC stuff and Snyder is so just. Immediately, much more in the fantasy realm, and I, I, I had said this to Mitchell the other day too. But you know, uh, Marvel loves to exist in real life, New York City and Tony Stark's house in Malibu, right? These are real cities that we could go to, and and again, I think it's that grounding in reality. But the DC stuff is Metropolis, and like you said, Gotham City, the city of absolute anarchy and chaos, and even the Flash is from central city is that is that what it is like (laughs) these these feel like if you were writing the lord of the rings fantasy place and place it in modern america like those are the names you would come up with just and even like smallville kansas is not this real place but is archetypical small town midwestern america and so everything becomes a stand-in for things that are familiar but they are far enough away that he's created a space to explore huge themes of literally the gods come to earth to to do battle and to uh, and for us to consider and wrestle with what what does all of this mean.
2: Yeah, and that stuff is there oftentimes in the source material for Marvel yeah, comics for as sure. well, but I, I think you're right in bringing up that it's it's not as central to and I th- in the, the Marvel movies. Now I, I do think maybe they're going to explore more of that. You know, I don't yes. know if you guys, you, guys went, you guys went through WandaVision at I all, did. but yeah, there's now they're, I think they're taking some more risks with a, a yes. little bit more enchanted. Now you're tapping into the the side of Marvel, which is really fascinating, which is like the way magic works in Marvel. Mm-hmm. And you have that in DC too, but you're, you're right. This is a, this is mythological. actually, one yeah. of my favorite scenes in, um, Zack Snyder's Justice League is the, the flashback to when the old gods are dealing with—and it's actually not fully Darkseid yet. Um, you know, it's it's actually—before uh, Darkseid really became properly Darkseid in the comics, he's Uxess. Hmm. He's, he's one of the new gods. Jack Kirby, who wrote hmm. uh, for both Marvel and DC, wrote the, this series um, called The New Gods Yeah, in, in, in Marvel—or in DC Comics. And the old gods were always there. You always had Zeus, you always yeah. had, you know, um, Ares. So it played on that old mythology, but there were also new gods as well. And new gods included people like eventually Dark Side. But Dark Side becomes mm. Dark Side through acquiring something called the Omega Force, right? And it's this mystical <laughs> thing. And that's where he gets his red omega beams. He doesn't have that at that point when the battle's going on. Yeah. But I bring up that battle. Because I, I love that he brought that in, not just because yeah. it was cool and mythological, but it helps you see, um, like DC, uh, at least Snyder's world. And this is actually different yeah. than Christopher Nolan's world. Snyder's yes. world is much more enchanted, yeah. um, it is much more open to the transcendent. Um, yeah. It's open. It, you can get that too with, you know, there's a character like a Thanos, and the Infinity Stones are clearly yeah. something mystical and magical. But the bringing in of the old gods is really interesting, even from a symbolic standpoint, because in some sense, and this is what the Romans were actually concerned about with the spread of Christianity early on, was that, and they called the early Christians atheists, they were concerned that if people stopped believing in the gods, that it would cause the collapse of their society. And um, in some ways... There are people like C.S. Lewis who are actually not totally against the old mythologies, and he incorporates them mm. in stories like Narnia and in yeah. the space trilogy, because yeah. there were things, and I think even see this with the Apostle Paul in his Sermon on Mars Hill, there were mm. things that were true about these yeah. really good values that were in the Greek mythologies in, that the Roman people, um, the Roman civilization adapted and incorporated. There were these true things, like there is something good about wisdom that we should pursue, right? Now, do we need to make wisdom an actual idol that we see as the end in Athena? No, but can we see wisdom as a really important value that finds its source in God? So these old gods are maybe what kept the meaninglessness at bay for sure and kept the chaos at bay and Mm. then you have christianity come in right you have christianity come Mm. in with superman and this was the thing then that kept the chaos at bay and i think it's a better picture it's a more complete picture i'm obviously biased as a christian that (laughs) i think it's a better picture than what the old greco-roman pantheon offered yeah um and it's an improvement superman is like Ares, Ares is the thing. Ares is the the, the god that took out Uxas' baby Dark Side, right? Yeah. <laughs> but you, it, it, Ares is also the the god that turns on Wonder Woman in Wonder yeah. Woman's uh, first movie that came out yeah. after um, Batman v Superman. So it's like, yeah. can we really trust an Aries? Can we really trust a Zeus? Zeus is always sleeping yeah. around with women all the time. <laughs> These are not as good of gods as the God we see revealed in Jesus. And so he's yeah. a better God. It's an improvement. But when God dies, what do we see? We see maybe the same yeah. thing. Like those old gods were keeping things at bay. Uh, there's a there's a more sinister force, uh, a more sinister mm. satanic power. Uh, there's a more... F- sinister movement to destroy and to yeah. move away from the good that we see yeah. at work. And it's like, uh, w- who was it? One of the Amazonians said something like, you know, <laughs> evil never, never sleeps. It just waits. Yeah. And, um, uh, yeah.
0: It's for those death cries.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I think that's maybe we're, I think we're maybe we're out. seeing it. We're seeing it right now. We're seeing like mm-hmm. what happens, like gosh it's been such a weird few years in america yeah. hasn't it it's like I, I feel like the number one thing i hear from people whether it was about the pandemic conspiracies politics
0: the q, the q drops the
2: q drops <laughs> i just don't know what to believe yeah
0: and it's like yeah it feels truth is so much less attainable yeah, even small truths like this happened today
2: because we killed yeah. it
0: yeah. You're right like we killed he's Truth. screaming yeah. he's screaming yes we've <laughs> killed it in his chest. yeah we've mm. killed it we
2: didn't know what we had maybe there were some tweaks obviously there were some there's some tweaks i'm not wild about the marriage of you know a christian story with like an american nationalist story i'm not Amer- uh, yeah. uh, wild about that i wasn't yeah. wild about it when the british empire did it I wasn't wild yeah. about it when a post-constantinian roman empire did it it needs yeah. tweaking. That's where there can be, postmodernism is a tool to, yeah. but it's a tool that maybe helps us tear down some things that need to be torn down, but you can't build a house with a hammer. Yeah. You can't, you can't build a house with a sledgehammer um, hmm. you know, and we have to live somewhere. So what happens when we've yeah. destroyed all of the structures? I'm not excited about what steps
0: into that gap. Yeah, Absolutely. That's a good little topic. I am not excited for what is what evil is lurking, <laughs> waiting to wake up. Uh, well, uh, Paul, we don't want to keep you too long, but just a couple more questions. Yeah. What, so we're talking a lot of he- heavy stuff here. This has been a super
1: awesome conversation, oh, by the way. Oh,
0: it's been amazing. man, I'm glad to get to do it with you guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. I apologize
1: great. for the people mowing their lawns.
0: <laughs> no, <it's, laughs> but, they're just trying um, to keep the chaos at bay, right? You got to keep yeah, the These weeds, yeah. man. That's right. Um but so just coming off fresh of this watching overall feeling about the movie did did you like it did you did it kind of live up to um the expectations kind of the internet legend of this Snyder <laughs> cut and maybe you could even yes. just give us a quick like main differences between the original and this new 4 hour version
2: Yeah I'm not like just a Snyder stan I I do appreciate his um him as a his aesthetic sensibility yeah. even yeah. just the cinematography we were talking about that back and forth on, on instant messaging or something instant messenger what yeah. is this aol <laughs> what year <Yeah>. is that <laughs> whatever uh instagram Aim. <laughs> <Yeah>. instagram messaging <laughs> about how you noticed right away mitchell like just the v- difference visually in man of steel from what yeah. is usually presented in most marvel movies and to me it's kind of like the difference between when you like watch something um like something like a true detective on hbo and then you go Mm. watch csi miami (laughs) you know just bump that saturation up a little bit higher yeah we're good to go and and, but not it's not everybody's cup of tea like i i appreciate it i i don't think um you know to me Zack snyder's not like a terrence malick or anything like that as a as a filmmaker which is
0: who Matthew lightly compared the style to, at least in yeah, terms yeah, yeah. of superhero movies. Yeah, totally.
2: If you're going to make a an apropos comparison, that that that's probably yeah. one. Even like visually, I love yeah. it. Um, it's it's a it's a hard world to not overly do CGI in. You know, if I yeah. compare that, like I just rewatched like Blade Runner 2049 mm. recently. Yeah. To me, like that's visually the perfect astounding <laughs> unreal sci-fi movie and it. it doesn't yeah. overly rely on um you know cgi and vfx yeah i liked it i i appreciated it i felt as if um it's not as philosophically and theologically dense as batman v superman yeah but i'm okay with it they were trying to tell a lot of characters stories to build some sort of uh emotional attachment to the character's in yeah really what's a short time in comparison to like the marvel movies where all these characters had one right. two three of their own movies yeah. before jumping into the end of those avengers sagas so to do that in one four hour cut i appreciated it um yeah i enjoyed the four it four
0: hours really didn't feel no. like no. four hours No, I, was didn't.
2: I loved it i i liked the chapter breaking up of yeah. it into chapters i love the I actually really love that they just kept it in an IMAX framing. It actually feels more like a comic book to me. You know, yeah. when I'm reading a comic book, very few panels are in widescreen. Yeah, you know, right. and it
0: kind of sets you up immediately of like this guy's making choices. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah.
1: And I think I think Snyder has such a great sense of kind of visually translating comics onto screen. Yes. In, yeah. in a way that very few of these movies do well. And, and most of them don't have to. Uh, I, I think it's fine, but he's really interested in it and he does it really well. Yeah. That that framing, it, it I there were so many moments where I thought, oh, this is a comic book panel and this is cool. Totally,
2: And I think beauty, we have a hard time just with beauty in American culture yeah. because we like, we use beauty oftentimes as a means to a different end to get something mm. from somebody else, which actually isn't yes. beauty, And so when we see something that might, it feels excessive, right? I think that's one of the biggest critiques of Snyder's movies is like, it just seems visually excessive and maybe not as important to the story. Like, I mean, even the one scene where, you know, Aquaman drops the guy off, he just saved into a bar (laughs) and he walks out and it's all in slow motion
0: with like an indie rock song. Though. One of my favorite shots, though.
2: Yeah, but as he just sta- steps right into the water like that, I go, I just think that's beautiful.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's great. I just,
2: I his think, hair and
0: beard, yeah. there's drips that <laughs> you can right. see flying off. Like
2: I appreciate <laughs> someone calling attention to and bringing our imagination into something as trivial yeah. as that. Could they have shaved that off to save two minutes? <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing I I feel frustrated about sometimes with movies and a studio like wb which has yeah. got a really bad track record like i just go oh man i would have loved to have seen is there can we get like a a proper peter jackson cut of the hobbit now instead of yeah. what they did to have to make it a trilogy and add these things yeah. that totally changed the hobbit story can we even get like a, a david ayer suicide squad cut because mm. that movie was butchered i'm You know, I I think about all these things where... So anyways, I appreciate it. I appreciate the aesthetic. Um, I appreciate the story. I think it's like a love letter to comic book nerds. I really like it. You know, there's still some things, you know, as a Batman fan, I'm still waiting for the world's greatest detective, who's also a master of all forms of martial arts. You know, I still feel... Yeah, I I don't know. Well, I don't well, know he, if we'll get that. We'll see. I'm, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. He's got the jaw. I'll say that. He does. He does have the jaw. Um, I, you know, I would like, even as Batman is plowing through parademons to rely less on guns <laughs> on his vehicle, uh, that, <laughs> cause that's, you know, that's so such, yeah. Uh, so those Non-Batman-y. are Batman-y. Yeah. Yeah. Those, those are, those are little things, um. You know, is it a perfect movie? Do I put it in the same category as, like, a Blade Runner 2049? No. Do I put it in the same category as, like, Terrence Malick's Tree of Life? No. But it, no. <laughs> even... Um, I I just...
0: But I really appreciate it. I like it.
2: Yeah. You know? I like it. I yeah. liked it a lot. And,
0: uh, so, and compared... Because neither of us have seen the original cut. Is it just... Oh my gosh! Better. Yeah.
2: The the original n- don't see the original cut. <laughs> avoid. Don't. I wish I wouldn't have going into this because there were f- three or four, um, like pretty key scenes that they did use in the original cut, but slightly different. So I kind of already knew what was coming, and I wish I wouldn't have. That original cut is horrible. I just <laughs> so you're saying we shouldn't go back do and watch not it. Not go yet. back and watch <laughs> it. Avoid I, avoid it is unfathomable to me that any exec. Could have gone like, hey, we've Watched got this it and thing it. Yeah. and we've got this thing. And to me, again, it's like, well, it's got to be greed. <laughs> That's the only thing I can yeah, think right. of <laughs> because they know a four-hour film. You you just can't sell box office tickets for it because movie theaters have got only so many slots to show yeah. a movie. So if you can cut it right. down to two, you're going to get more slots, make more money
0: or turn it into three movies yeah
2: or or the sense that like hey we've got to do what marvel's doing to catch up with them so we got to throw in all this humor and stuff that just don't see it it was it's uh actually you know that i did not like wonder woman 84 i didn't like the i couldn't even finish the like aquaman standalone movie i really yeah i but If people like it, that's fine. I just, yeah, I just really like. I feel like it's more true to the sort of tone of DC what Snyder has done. Even tapping into like these injustice comic book storylines, where it's like, super, what happens if Superman goes rogue, and those nightmare scenes, those to me are all just. Uh. I love it.
1: I, I love it. I am here for a Ben Affleck Batman Road Warrior movie. Like, <laughs> yeah. yes. it, it was like Mad, Mad Max, Max Fury Road Batman. with Batman. Yeah. And I'm like, yes, this, be this feels amazing. <laughs> I, I loved, I loved the um, just, Imagining all of that and the little tastes yeah. of it—it was, it was great. And that's why
0: terrifying Superman becomes. Yeah, that's what movies.
2: I'm excited <sighs> for in the the streaming medium is the opportunity for stories yeah. like this to yes. breathe. Like as a Star Wars nerd, to what they've been able to do yeah. with the Mandalorian, which you could just never condense no. into a movie. And after my disappointment with the sequel, Star Wars sequel trilogy, to yeah. to really see people give proper care and attention to these stories, not just do like fan service for nerds, yeah. but to really go like, hey, we're going to try to be true to these characters and these stories, and, and that's the thing that's about... That's interesting. Oh, go, go ahead. I was going to say, that's the thing about DC, though, is that there's so many different iterations of these characters and sure. storylines that people go, well, that's not the true Superman. Superman is always happy and smiling, and you're like, well, no, there's a lot of different iterations yeah. of, of Superman out there. Um, there's a lot of different iterations of 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 batman and uh these other characters this is the best iteration of wonder woman to me from the comic books yeah like this is wonder woman's movie to me i i oh. i love it i'm like oh that's that's like the amazonian ba warrior princess yep. that i see in the comics and that's she's
0: the cornerstone strength of this yeah, like, yeah. It together so just on and, that
2: side i'm like it's fun to see these characters come to life on the yeah. screen and i'm I'm happy for people that are working
1: hard to try to do that Uh i really enjoyed it i think mitchell you you really were surprised by how much you enjoyed these movies yeah um and and that's kind of kind of me just having not had the experience with the original cut i was just caught off guard by how how uh, watchable it was i think that was what kept coming to mind i'm like this is just i i have heard the only thing i've heard about the other one was how unwatchable incoherent and a mess that it was yeah And I'm like, this 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 thing is well put together, and I and it's not a chore to get through. And to me, the story behind it that Snyder left production, came back a couple years later, and recut this thing. The fact that it exists is very exciting. Oh, just astounding to me. And 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 it's for for movies in general. Yeah, that's a big thing. Yeah, it's what you said too, just about the space that these streaming platforms allow, and. You know, not that every bad movie we've seen over the last 10 years needs a new four hour director's cut with reshoots, because I think, you know, bad movies, a lot of them are bad for a reason. Mm -hmm. But um, but I think um, at least what I'm hoping is that some of these execs see the response to the Snyder cut and say, okay, actually, we had something here and we really kind of wasted it the first time around. Uh, what are the lessons we can learn in dealing with these characters and trying to tell these stories? And and that really excites me. And I don't think, it doesn't sound like it's going to be Snyder. It sounds like he's pretty much moved on from that world and doing his own stuff now. But I, I hope they can learn the lesson in the right way, in the direction, say, of the Mandalorian and not Rise of Skywalker. Totally.
2: <laughs> yeah, That the difference between those two is, like, I didn't, given what Rise of Skywalker had to work with, It was like, you know, um, there's some things that I'm, I'm fine with about that, but I felt a little bit like the key difference is one of these things feels like it was a story built by a focus group who's looking to make money and the other one feels like it's a story. Yeah. And so I, I hope we can see, I I really, I'm, I'm great. I'm thankful that you get to see somebody that had a really ambitious story they want to tell with these characters tell that story and either you like it or you don't, but it's like, well, I just want to see this. What is the story that they really wanted to tell as opposed to these, what it really Mm. feels like are ulterior motivations, um, that, Mm. that the larger, the larger companies come in and go, Hey, we need to see this, this, and this happen, So we know that it sells. And, um, I don't know that, that to me, like that instantly, I know people have got to make money. I know these things have to sell, but to me, like really... A really good story, really good art, really good beauty, all those things are really attractive to us, and we'll gravitate towards them. And I will exchange some things that I see are valuable, like the products of my time, which I get as money for the work I do. I'll exchange some of that for something like this. Um, So it, it feels like a more pure
1: cinematic storytelling yeah. experience than than the other one uh i i was i was impressed it's it's not the best thing i've ever seen yeah. by any means but it really worked for me
2: yeah where does it where uh, would it sit in your uh top comic book movies have you thought
1: about that oh yeah it's so so there's probably like for me there's the probably dark night is somewhere near the top and then there is some tier of like high quality mcu stuff Mm -hmm. Uh, when mcu really works when the marvel movies really work they're they're up there for me Mm -hmm. and then honestly i'd put the snyder stuff right below it and then there's the bottom tier marvel Uh, because when the marvel movies don't work i they they're so fleeting in my mind they are so forgettable uh and and i I, th- I think about that sometimes with those where it's like okay i watched it so i can watch the next one and yeah. don't want to get I'm, behind yeah i don't want to get behind that's why i made sure to watch falcon and winter soldier this weekend and that's why uh, I'll, I'll never be able to watch them because there's like 30 <laughs> movies i gotta watch <laughs> i don't know what what about you for you paul i think near
2: the top of my is like you said dark Knight's up there but it's yeah it's again mainly for Heath Ledger and yeah. the that one again for the. F- I like movies that make me think, like you're saying, days after seeing them. That for me is just. I'm yeah. not saying that's the best way to evaluate a movie, but that's just for me what I enjoy about a story. Is yeah. yeah, the thinking about it two or three days later. So it's
0: stickiness.
2: Yeah, there's a top tier up there for me where it's like Dark Knight, Logan. I think Logan mm, yeah. is. Logan's really good. Is is up there with it just as a it's a compelling really story. Really subversive. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. and then I'd say somewhere in there, I'm going to have to watch this again after first viewing, but um, well, actually Watchmen, you know, that's actually probably one mm-hmm. of Zack Snyder's best um, is up there. So there's that tier. I, you know, I'm going to have to go back and compare whether I like this more than Batman v Superman. I, the, yeah. the third act of Batman v Superman feels a little bit, I wish it would have <laughs> just been Batman yeah. v Superman. That was my biggest
1: problem with yeah. that movie is when the monster shows up that's yeah. not... It, it's just kind of there all of a yeah. sudden. Yeah, you need and, more time. that's what we're doing. Yeah, you yeah. need
2: more time with that. So I think this is up there. I really like... Like from the Marvel movies, to me, the tops are like uh, Infinity War and yeah. uh, and Winter Soldier. Yeah. Those two are the oh, best. I love Winter Soldier. I love the Winter yeah. Soldier. I thought that was... You know, that, that was calling, calling people to think more deeply about... Yep. Um... You know, their relationship to government and yeah. uh, you know things like that. Yeah, and then Infinity War, I, I thought like Thanos is a he's a compelling villain. Made me think about you know it should make Christians even think about. I walked out thinking about God's judgment. Yeah, you know because and how mm. how difficult it is for people to swallow things that Christians maybe just willy nilly throw about and brandy about like. Well, yeah. if this doesn't happen, then this many people are destined to hell or destruction. Mm. You're like, oh wow! To see that in on the screen was just a snap, and this guy motivated by yeah. something that he actually thought was beneficial. I thought that was, I thought that was a good way to use that that character, which is actually yeah. different from the comics. In the comics, yeah. Thanos is he's trying to win the love of. Death, who's personified as a mm. female, and marry Death, which is oh,
1: interesting. Which is
2: interesting Mother symbolically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Chaos.
1: <laughs> oh, and that's completely abandoned for the movies. Yeah. Wh-
2: which wow. again, like you're saying, that might ground it a bit more. I think people, sure. general yeah. audiences, may have just lost it and be like, "What is this personification of <laughs> death as a woman?" He was trying to get it. <laughs> he was trying to get it with death. Is that what you're saying? <laughs>
0: He's like, guys, it's worth it. Trust yeah. me.
1: In, in, instead, he is really a radical
0: environmentalist.
1: Yeah. I <laughs> yeah.
0: mean, totally. Picking poison. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. Hmm. Paul, as we wrap up, we just have two other questions for you. We do this on every episode. Yeah. We say our, our favorite single shot of the movie, if, oh, if you can think of one. I know it's tough and kind of just catching off guard with that. But that, and then also, um, we're both on this social media app for movies. Uh, Movie watching and ranking it's called Letterboxed. Yeah, I've heard of it. It's the best and it's a great way to like track what you want to see and just have The movie discussion, you know online more focused than Twitter. Mm. Yeah, Uh, yeah. but we give our letterbox review which is a you know, one to five star review of the movie Mm. Um, and so we have to ask what, what would be your your review out of five stars for this thing and then if you have a single favorite favorite moment or favorite shot Okay, so I have to review it based on the genre that it is. I can't put it up against other things. So, exactly, as, a, yeah. as a comic
2: book movie, I'd say it's a it's a four to four point five out of five stars. Yeah, somewhere in that range. Um, oh, and
0: then also, what is the original cut star wise for you? <laughs> if there were negative stars, <laughs> negative, stars, <laughs> negative ten terrible. stars. Uh, it's it's.
2: You know it's a one no it's no, not on the board yeah. without hesitation it's a one yeah <laughs> <It's> okay so,
0: <laughs> so bad what was the other question cool. again uh if you had a fa- favorite shot or favorite moment and we like to post like a mm-hmm. screenshot of that on our on, on the socials
2: yeah oh that's a really good question um boy i <laughs> I golly that's that's really hard because when you talk about a Zack Snyder movie that's the thing that he does well is the yes yeah, exactly the there's some beautiful
0: moments uh, despite
2: I really liked I really liked the shot at the end i think it might be even in the epilogue or towards Mm. that final chapter of of batman standing on the war machine which is like the big massive it looks like a tank i think i saw you
0: post that on uh, instastory i I love i love that shot
2: um i do really because that's that's a vehicle from the frank miller um dark knight Mm. stories and uh i just yeah I, I, i thought as a batman fan like that's a beautiful shot yeah. Um, or it was, I, I did walk away going, I want to see more of Ben Affleck and Jared Lodo yes. as Joker in this dynamic together. So, um, that I know that's what he was going for. It was a tease. Yeah. Hopefully there'll be, you know, enough restore the Snyderverse hashtags to <laughs> get, get WB to jump on that. But I,
0: I I'm going to have to do another,
2: another watch, a watch through to, yeah. to properly. Yeah. That's good. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, Paul, I just want to say thank you so much for being on the pod. Yeah. Was, yeah, thanks, This guys. was awesome. Thank you. Enjoyed Our inaugural yeah, guest.
2: Awesome, man. I'm pl- I'm honored to be here. I can't wait to hear what other conversations you guys have about this stuff, because I'm really interested, and this is a good—there's Yeah. There, there's a niche here for you guys that yeah. um, I would listen to this. I'm, I'm looking for these kinds of podcasts out there, mm, and not just not just like film reviews that are, sure. are dealing with, well, the acting in this, I yeah. give it a C minus and B plus, yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's, and that's what well. we're trying to that's what we're trying to steer away from is let's have the conversations that we would have in the car on the way home from a movie totally yeah totally and, and so you gotta connect
0: it a little bit more personally yeah you got a, you got a subscriber here for sure hey right appreciate it
1: hey paul uh real quick you want to plug just where can people find you yeah um, sure and that kind of thing
2: yeah i mean if um you just search and whatever you Podcast platform of choices, Deep Talks. It's Deep Talks exploring theology and meaning making. So that's the podcast. Um, Do have some stuff on YouTube. If you searched for Deep Talks on on YouTube, including like the number one video far and away that people have commented on is my my Batman v Superman um, breakdown, which is video
0: essay sort of. Yeah, video video essay. I mean, it's got like
2: seventy nine thousand views, and most of my other stuff maybe only gets. 100 <laughs> so i'm not very active it, on YouTube. it
0: is but. really
1: worth watching it's a it's a great video essay oh thank you so if the, I'm, yeah. I'm hoping to do more of that
0: stuff uh
2: in the future yeah, right but on. and then you know on socials if you connect with me on twitter and instagram those are the two places i'm most active
0: right on well thank you so much paul thanks guys this was a blast again thank you paul so much for being part of the podcast as we transition out of our conversation with him and just uh, kind of do some end of episode housekeeping uh, that is standard movies while they sleep (laughs) stuff. That's
1: right. As always, I just want to encourage you guys to follow us on social media, specifically uh, our Instagram movies while they sleep. Real simple, but we just love that platform because it's been a great space for us to share. Uh, just more content throughout the week especially our favorite shots uh, this week we didn't really get a chance to share our favorite shots in the conversation uh, but you will be able to catch those later on the Instagram uh, and we we welcome you know if you've if you got favorite shots from from the movies that we're watching share them and, and we, we'd love to see I love to keep the conversation going uh, and and you also see announcements uh, this week we've been kind of announcing Paul ahead of time you're gonna get get that info ahead so follow us on Instagram follow us on Twitter that is at uh, Twitter, we are at MWTSpod, and you can also email us uh, You know, stuff you want us to talk about, movies you want us to talk about, just the movies while they sleep at gmail.com.
0: Yes, and aside from socials, we're excited to announce next week's episode, oh. which is uh, we're, we're going to take a break from just uh, trying to catch the wave of every new kind of zeitgeist movie that's coming out. Week to week, and um, we're going to revisit a classic, an instant classic. Uh, Next week's episode is Parasite.
1: Parasite. I am so excited about this. This is one of my favorite movies the last, I don't know, decade, but it's really one of my favorite movies ever. If you haven't seen Parasite, it is streaming on Hulu, so you can go check it out. And part of the reason we were picking Her- Parasite, we were thinking, okay, what, what's something that is both a throwback and a little bit timely? And you know, a, a lot of uh, kind of where we're at right now in the calendar year, a year ago um, was right around when Parasite won Best Picture, and we are looking ahead just a couple weeks from now to the Academy Awards again. And so we just thought, now's a great time to revisit last year's best picture winner, Parasite. Uh, so I, we are super excited, This uh, just thrilled to be revisiting this movie. And as Bong Joon-ho, director Bong Joon-ho said when he accepted his Golden Globe last year for Parasite, do not let the one-inch barrier of the subtitles on this foreign language film uh, stop you from enjoying really a masterpiece of filmmaking. So go check out Parasite on Hulu. And please be sure, in the meantime, if you haven't done so already, rate and leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. It helps a ton just in terms of getting the word out there about what we're doing here at Movies While They Sleep. And we're looking forward to seeing you next week with Parasite.
0: With Parasite. And also, in the meantime, listen to Deep Talks, Paul's podcast. It's very, very good. We cannot recommend it enough. All right, we'll be back next week, Movies While They Sleep. (laughs) Good night, y'all. Bye.